So today we, we are in the book of Exodus, and we wanted to talk about a, you know, a, a common, a very, very common problem, a common issue, and it's called grumbling, right? It's called complaining. Um, and to be honest, I think, I think there's something that maybe all of us struggle with uh, here and again. Maybe some of us struggle with it more than others. But, but I would be surprised if uh, anybody tells me that I never complain. It's not an issue for me. And it's interesting because nobody really likes grumblers, right? I don't think anybody likes somebody who complains all the time. And yet, we tend to complain. We tend to grumble a lot. And one of the things that we see in this passage today, which I think is very eye-opening, is that when we grumble, when we complain, we are not just complaining to people amongst ourselves. We're not just complaining to myself, right, to ourselves, but we're complaining and grumbling against God as everything in life involves God. In today's passage, we see in verse 8, Moses says, What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So they're very clearly, right? It's not, you're grumbling. You're not grumbling just to, to yourselves. You're not grumbling just to us, but you're grumbling against the Lord. When we complain about our family, we're complaining against God who gave us our family. When we complain about our job, we're complaining about the job that God gave us. When we complain about, um, I don't just whatever it is that we complain about, we're complaining against the God who provided, against the God who is, is all wise. We are plan- when we complain about the direction that our lives are going, you know, and, and we don't understand why, a lot of times we're complaining against the God who is guiding us in that direction. And that's why Philippians 2.14 says to do everything, right, without arguing, without disputing. So to do everything without complaining, without arguing, without, I mean, what is it saying? There's a real reference there to the book of Exodus and it's a reminder to not grumble, to not dispute, really that we, we are called to be thankful, to be grateful, that we are called to be content in the Lord. And, and so today, as we look at this passage in Exodus chapter 16, I want us to look at just, just the complaining, the grumbling of the Israelites, how that relates to us. But also, I want to look at God's gracious provision. How does God respond to, to the complaining, to the grumbling of his people. And, and lastly, how does this all point to Christ, right? to the true bread of life? And so first thing I want to look at is the complaints, the grumbling of the Israelites. In today's passage, what we see here, it says here that they set out from Elim, and the congregation of the Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. Now, it's interesting, it says the wilderness of sin, and, and every commentator that I've read seems to say that uh, this, the wilderness of sin has no real theological significance, but it's just interesting, at least in English, that it's called the wilderness of sin, that, because clearly they are sinning against the Lord as, as they grumble, as they complain. And they're here on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So really, it's about six weeks after they left Egypt. This is about six weeks after they left Egypt and the whole congregation grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now we see, and even in chapter 15, we see grumbling, but here in chapter 16, the grumbling 
this year the whole the whole congregation. So it's not just one or two people. It's not a tenth of percent of the people. It's it's the whole congregation. It's a rebellion. It is everybody is grumbling, complaining, and they say to Mo, they say to Moses, "Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt." When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now think about these words. They're hungry, clearly. And and, and, and I think that there's probably some validity in the sense that there, there probably was some shortage of food. I, I don't think that they're just complaining for no reason in the sense that you know they had plenty. But look at the language, right? Maybe they are hungry, but he says here, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. So really, what are, what are they saying? They're saying, you saved us to what? To kill us by not giving us food. And it's, it's very strong language. Would that we had died. We wish, instead of being saved and delivered and rescued from our slavery in the land of Egypt, we, we wish we had just died there. Why? You brought us out here. Why? To kill us with hunger? Just the harshness of this language, right? Just they're complaining, they're grumbling. And, and they get this ridiculous statement where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. They were slaves. They were crying for, for rescue, right? They were miserable. It's very doubtful. They had meat pots and ate bread to the full. But what are they doing? They're thinking about their past, and it's a little bit warped here, and, and they're thinking that they had so had so much better before the Lord rescued them. And they're grumbling, and they're complaining, and it's honestly very surprising because it's only been six weeks since the Lord has rescued them and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They saw the plagues in Egypt, right? They saw the multiple plagues that God did. Just to, They saw the power of God, and they saw that God just... You know, he did those plays and he showed his power to the point where the Egyptians had no choice but to let the people of God leave Egypt. And they saw, you know, the power of God again at the Red Sea where he divided the Red Sea, where the people of God went through the Red Sea. When the Egyptians came after them, the Red Sea fell upon the Egyptians. And so they have seen the power of God again and again. And God has just delivered them. He has shown them his power. He has shown them his love. And he has delivered them from the land of slavery. He has redeemed them. He has rescued them. He has shown his power. He has shown his love for them. And so after all that, you would think they would just trust in the Lord no matter what the situation is. But no, they're hungry. And so they don't just complain a little bit it's just all of them are grumbling and they're saying things like what that we had died in egypt by the hand of the lord that we had so much so much better back then you brought us out here to kill us right they're they're doubting they're doubting the lord's provisions they're doubting his wisdom you see it would appear they're even doubting his love here his care for them just a lot of doubt and you know, I could look at this, and we could look at this and be like, man, these ungrateful Israelites, these people, how dare they, right? How could they possibly act like this against the Lord? But if we're honest, I think when, at least for me, when I look at this passage, 
I am reminded of myself. I think we are reminded of ourselves. I mean, think about us. If, if we say we are Christians, if we know that we are children of God, that means, first of all, we, we know the stories of the Bible. We see God's power, God's love, God's wisdom in, in the word of God, right? And in, in, in the breath of God, we, we see it there. But also, it means, if I'm a Christian, it means that I know who God is, that he is a God of love, that he is a God of power. We know about the cross. We know that we were worse off than these Israelites, right? We were not slaves in Egypt. We were slaves to sin. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We had no hope. We were condemned. But what do we know? Just like God saved the people of God from slavery in Egypt, we, we have been redeemed. We, we were dead and yet we have been made alive. We have been rescued. We have been redeemed. Christ went to the cross to die for sinners like us. He took our place. He died the death that we deserve. We, when we put our faith in Christ, we are forgiven. We are saved. We have eternal life. I mean, we... We are so blessed. We have seen his power. We have seen his love. We have seen his goodness. We have experienced his faithfulness. We, we sing about it. Like we sang this morning about his faithfulness, that he, you know, or what he has done, what he will do. And yet, even though we know all this, even though we believe all this, what do we do? We grumble. We complain. Because God is not doing things the way we want him to. Maybe we grumble about how we feel physically or mentally, emotionally. Maybe we grumble about our families. We complain about, you know, our work, our, our kids, our parents, you know, about the weather, about, and we can go on and on and on, right? Maybe because we're not comfortable and we grumble and we complain. And we don't just complain to ourselves. Maybe we grumble against the Lord because maybe our hearts are just full, not of contentment, not of gratefulness, not with love, but maybe our hearts are just full of complaining, of grumbling, of just, just ungrateful hearts maybe that we have. And so I want us to be hopefully convicted, just like the Israelites Seems to they seem to have doubted, called into question God's wisdom, His provisions, His love. I, I think often we do the same thing. We we doubt His provisions and maybe even His power. We doubt His wisdom. Is God truly powerful enough to work in my life today? Maybe maybe we doubt that. Maybe we doubt the provisions He has given me. Maybe we think this is not what I really need in my life. Maybe we see the direction my life is going or what God is doing, and we're like, what is going on? Maybe we don't trust the Lord in those ways. And maybe we don't even trust that God truly loves us and is working for our good today. But these are all things that we should trust. As we look to the cross, as we look towards heaven as we think about how he is with us today and every day how he is blessing us we, we want to trust in his wisdom his power his provisions and his love for he is good for he is faithful as we sing about as we as we pray about as we believe but we see all this complaining and then what is god's response 
and it's and it's actually incredible. We would think, you would think that perhaps his response would be pretty harsh. That maybe he would say, you know what, I've been doing all this for you, and you grumble, you complain, and you question me, and maybe maybe we would think that God would just punish them, right, or or, or maybe starve them and say, hey, you you want hunger? No, here we go. But no, he doesn't do any of those things. What does God do? He graciously provides. If you look at our passage today, the Lord says to Moses, Behold, I want to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And later, we see, he says here, It says here that I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel, verse 12, say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now, here's the thing that we know. A couple of things here. The way the way God provides is he, he sends them birds, right? He sends them birds in the evening so they can eat it, and so that they can, you know, they can have, they can have meat. Um, but then in the morning, they, he, he, he gives them this thing called manna, which had never before been seen. And it's, it's, it's bread, really, right? It's that they have in the morning so they can eat and they can have their fill. So we see these two amazing miracles. In the evenings, we have birds flying towards the people of God. And it's kind of just, it's just, I guess, let's catch them out of the air. Just, just, they, just, they just grab them. And it was interesting as, as I was studying this passage that, you know, they said that a lot of, you know, I think they, people used to try to catch birds with nets. But sometimes they actually, if, they, you know, if the birds are flying low enough, they would actually catch them out of their air. So this is not completely a novel thing. However, think about it. We have birds flying towards them so they could be eaten. It's, it's actually incredible. It's, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever gone fishing before. I'm sure some of you have. But imagine you're going fishing and just the, the fish are just swimming towards you saying, catch me, catch me, and eat me, right? Or if so, you know, and I mean, just, just imagine how incredible that would be. And that's what's happening. It's a miracle where we have these birds coming to the people of God so that they can eat, they can have meat. But also in the morning, we have this thing called manna. If you look at Verse 13 in our passage, it says here, in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. We just talked about that, right? It says the birds are coming and the people are eating in the birds. In the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground, right? It sounds like pretty amazing thing. See later in the passage, we didn't read it, but in verse 31, which was the 16, they talk about it more. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. It was something that was supposedly very, very delicious. And so we have this thing where you know they're, they're eating this thing, and it's probably very delicious, and this is what the people say. When the people saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread of the Lord, bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Now, 
they say, what is it? And if you look at the name manna, it really kind of comes from that word, what is it? And so really, what, what does the word manna mean? It means, what is it? They, they didn't know what to call it. So they just called it, what is it? And it's this incredible thing. And people are eating it. And I, I remember thinking, when I, used to, when I used to read about manna as a kid, I remember thinking, man, when I get to heaven one day, I want, I want to ask God, can I, just, can I just taste it? Can I just taste it once, Lord? Right? Because I just want to know how good this, this, this manna was because it sounds, sounded amazing. And so what does God do? He provides. They complain, and instead of rebuking them or punishing them, he, he gives them. He gives them meat. He gives them quail. He gives them these birds, and he gives them these delicious manna in the morning so they could eat and they could have their fill. And we also see that in the passage, not only does he just give it to them, he gives them instructions of how to get it. And he says pretty much, you know, I want you to gather it six days a week, not the seventh day, seven days of Sabbath, right? So he wants them to rest that day, gather it six days a week, and just gather what you need and don't, don't hang on to it. I don't, don't, don't hang on to it because if you do, what ends up happening is it ends up rotting, right? It ends up stinking and and again, even in, in, in his provisions, right? He's his, his discipling them, right? He's teaching them to trust in him, to obey him, to follow him, and he's providing for them through these, these, these great, amazing ways. And so, what, what do we see? We see, we see, we see a picture of God providing for the needs of His people. We see a picture of Him taking care of them, even in the midst of their complaining and their grumbling. Why? Because He loves. His people. He is trusting them to depend on him and he's providing for their needs. God loves us. He provides for us every day. And, and the hope is that as we see his provisions, we can stop complaining, stop grumbling, and we can rejoice and praise the Lord. And if you look at these provisions, I want to actually look at the provisions in a few ways of how amazing it is. How does God provide for his people? He provides for their daily bread, or he provides for their needs and their necessities. But God sees our need, and God fills it. He works. And he wants them to trust in the Lord for their need every day. I mean, if you think about the way he provided, he's saying to them, take what you need, and I don't want you to hang on to it for the next day. Why? Because I want you to depend on me for your need. Because think about that for a second, right? Why, you know, I used to wonder that when I was younger, why would God give something that rots the next day, right? You say, if, if God gave me milk, why would he give me milk that is bad tomorrow? Why, why not, why not, God, why not give me enough for a week, right? So I could just hang on to it for a week, you know, portion it, eat it, and then get another. No, but he, he wants us to have it day after day, every single day. And if you hang on to it and try to hoard it, He's going to make it right. Why? Because he wants the people of God to know, I will daily provide for what you need. And really, what is he saying? I'm going to meet your need, not your greed, not your selfishness, but also I'm going to meet your need as I see your need. I'm not going to meet your need in a way that you think you need. No, I will show you your need truly in the way you need it, right? God is saying, I'm going to meet your need. 
And a lot of times I think what we do is we confuse our need for a greed. And, and a lot of times what we think is a need isn't necessarily what God sees as a need. But God says, I'm going to meet your need. You know, it, it reminds us of, of the Lord's Prayer, right? Where we say, give us this day our daily bread. Not our weekly, not our monthly, our daily bread. Uh, I love in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9. The writer writes, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. But don't give me too little. Don't give me too much, Lord. Give me just enough. And that actually reminds me of a story my mother told me when I was a kid. My father was, you know, my father worked at a, at a company and he got called to ministry a little later in life. And when uh, I think my, my sister and I, when we were both very young, he, he, he kind of dropped everything. He went to seminary in Korea. And my mother shared that, you know, when, when he went to seminary, it was, it was actually very hard. They, they live, went from living pretty comfortably to just really barely making ends meet. And she said she was worried every month, how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to put food on the table? And she said it was incredible how month after month, God just somehow provided just a, a, enough, just enough money for that month for, to, to take care of everything. And she said every time she tried to save a little bit more, something would happen so she couldn't save anything. But it was every single month, God would just give just enough. And she said after a while, she started just expecting, right? Like, how is God going to provide for us this month? Because she got just used to the fact that God was providing for our needs. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't save or plan or prepare for the future. That's not, I mean, there is this aspect of stewardship that's very important, but I think the lesson that we see here is whatever the need is, God will provide. And if you really think about it, think, let's think about the cross. Let's think about how Christ atoned for our sins. When we think about what is my greatest need in my life, my greatest need in my life is salvation is to be with God. I mean, I was a sinner. I had no hope. And what, what did God do? God sent his son to die for me. What did Christ do? He went to the cross for a sinner like me. He died the death that I deserved. He has given me eternal life. And now I have a relationship with God. I can call my heavenly father, father. I can call Jesus my savior, the Holy Spirit in my life. I mean, he has truly met my need. And he continues every day to meet our needs. And so we want to praise the Lord. We want to thank him. And instead of complaining, we say, Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for every day for meeting my need. And yes, Lord, I will be a good steward. Yes, Lord, I will save for the future. Yes, Lord, I will do what I have to do to take care of my family. These are all good things, but... At the end of the day, I don't trust in just my savings. I don't just trust in my ability to provide. No, at the end of the day, I trust that God is with me and he will meet my needs. But also, we see in our passage, not only does he meet my need, he provides graciously and freely. God doesn't demand payment for what he gives. We can't pay him back for everything that he has given us. Just like a child can't pay back his or her parents for the love and care that the parents have shown them. 
There's no work involved. You can't earn it. God gave manna to everyone, old people, young people, male, female, hardworking, lazy, the whole people of God, they received this gracious gift. It was a gift from God, and it was free. And I think we have to remember that everything that we have is a free gift from God. Everything is by grace. Our salvation is by grace. But even just life is by grace. Every gift that we have is from the Lord, and it is graciously given. God continues to show grace in our lives, and we see that God's provisions, they don't run out. God provides completely. There is no running out of God's provisions. He will not empty his supply. We see God providing manna for 40 years in the desert until when? Until it was no longer needed. But God will always take care of our needs every day here on earth until the day we die. And God says to not worry about tomorrow. Why? Because his love and his care is limitless. We don't have to worry about God's love, God's blessings for us running out. Why? Because God continues to provide every day for our needs, graciously, freely, and his provisions never went out. So we see God's provisions. And we see that even though the Israelites are complaining, God is providing graciously, lovingly, faithfully. But as you look at this passage, I want to really think about how it points us to, to Christ. If you look at this passage, it reminds us of John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, what, what, what happens is Jesus has fed 5,000. And he has, you know, he, he, he's, he's blessed them, right, with, with, with food. And so now people are very interested in Jesus because they, they, I guess when you feed somebody, they, they, they want more of you. And so they're, they're coming to him, and Jesus speaks to, to those people. And, and the people, they say to him in John chapter 6, verse 30, what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Which is interesting because Jesus just gave them a sign. He gave them bread. But our fathers, they say, manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now Jesus says to them in verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. And he's talking about himself here. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they say to him, so give us this bread always. And then Jesus in verse 35 of chapter 6 in the book of John, he says very famous, very powerful, very amazing words. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says later in the same passage, in verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that that manna in the desert 
that was there for 40 years. That manna that God provided for the people of God to provide for their needs, to show them that he will provide for them, their need, that he gives them graciously and freely, that, those, that, that his provisions, they're not going to run dry because he is, right, he is all-powerful. He is all-loving. He is faithful. He said that manna that they had is pointing to a greater reality, to the true manna, to the true bread of life. It was pointing to Jesus. See, the manna was temporary. People ate it. They were full. They were happy. But they got hungry again. So they needed to eat it again and again and again. And it was limited. It was physical. Right? It wasn't a spiritual nourishing thing. It was a physically nourishing thing for the people of God. But Jesus, what is he saying? He's saying, look, people, they ate this manna. They died. And he's saying, when you eat of the true bread of life, he's saying, you're not going to die. You will live forever. Now, obviously, we will physically die. But he's saying, you're not ultimately die because we will have eternal life in Christ. We think of Jesus, the bread of life. And what do we know? We know that Christ came into this world for sinners like us. And we know that when we put our faith in Christ, truly the greatest thing that we have has been taken care of by Christ. He has met our greatest need at the cross, and we are forgiven and we are saved. We have eternal life. We are children of God. And what does he do? He continues to fill us every day. He continues to meet our needs every single day of our lives. Physically, yes, but also spiritually. He nourishes our souls. When we feel empty, when we feel alone, we know that God is with us. We know that Christ, he is Emmanuel. He will never leave or forsake us. He is with us always, and his presence is with us. When we feel afraid, we are reminded, fear not, for I am with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we know that he is with us. He is protecting us. When we feel like no one cares about us, we feel like no one approves of us, we know that he approves of us, and that is the true opinion that counts, and he fills us up. When we are weak, he gives us strength. When we feel, when we feel, Worried and anxious and scared, he gives us peace and he guards our hearts with his peace. He meets all of our needs. He is truly the bread of life. He forgives us. He saves us. And he continues to be with us every day, meeting all of our needs. And he is saying, come to me. Feed on me. Rest in me. For I am truly who you need. And my hope and my prayer today is that we will not try to satisfy our lives with earthly things, right? So the Israelites, they complain so much because, you know, because they, they don't want obstacles in life. They, they just wanted to be comfortable. They, they didn't really trust in the Lord, his love and his wisdom and his provisions. They, they doubted him. But what do we know? We know that we can truly trust in the Lord as we look to the cross, as we look at the bread of life. We know 
that he is worthy of our worship. But another reason why the Israelites complain so much is because they don't look to God. They, they were looking at the created things like bread. And they said, if, oh, if, I need, if I don't have the bread, my life is miserable. And they didn't look to the God who provided that bread. So the God, the creator, the redeemer, who they truly should have looked at us. So what do we need to do? We need to trust in the Lord. He is always with us, providing for us, but also we need to worship him. We can't get so caught up about the things of the world and thinking, oh, if only I had this, if only I had this. No, we need to look to him, trust in him and worship him, knowing that he is the one who gives us all the gifts. So we want to look at the giver. We want to love him and worship him. And we need to be reminded that Jesus, who meets a true need for forgiveness and salvation, continues to meet every need in our lives. He is our true joy, our true love, peace, our all in all. And so we then can stop complaining, stop grumbling, but we can be grateful for all that the Lord has given us. And we can worship him with all of our lives. So that is my hope. That is my prayer today, that we will look to him. We will be so grateful. And we would trust in the Lord and we would say, Lord, I don't need to crumble. I don't need to complain, but I look to you. I trust in you. I'm grateful to you and I worship you with my life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.